Ani Bojo Wache Scano Optigizisque Ndijnikas, Mississaugas of the Credit Dunjaba, Makwa Dodam, Mississaugi Endow. I offer this smudge today for the um, for the community, for the people who are watching, and for everyone who is needing prayers today. I would like to introduce to you today, um, we're talking about truth and reconciliation with our host, Chief Stacy Laforme from the Mississaugas of the Credit. Ani, um, thank you for the invite. Um, before I um, start into my, my um, talk, I'd like to read something. Um, and this came about because Several years ago, I was at an event, uh, AFN or Chiefs of Ontario, and they were talking about the many issues that you know the AFN deals with on a regular basis. Uh, so, so, so many, many complex issues. And one of the issues they were talking about was missing and murdered women. Um, so as the uh, chiefs split and went to different meetings in different rooms to have discussions, I stayed in the section that talked about missing and murdered women. And when I was in there, uh, I stood up and I said, um, you know, as a politician, as a leader, as somebody, even though I don't consider myself a politician, I guess, you know, I kind of am, and I, as I have a public facing image. So I, um, I stood up and said that as a leader, we have an obligation to stand up and raise awareness about missing and murdered women every chance we are given. Um, so I um, wrote a poem that I want to read to you um, called Heartbeats. And I should warn you that I write poetry as a means of um, creating a relationship with the people I'm talking to. You know, I believe that I could stand up here and quote facts and figures for hours, but as soon as the test is over, you'd forget. But I think that the arts bridge gaps and raise consciousness and create relationships between individuals. And that's something that can last a long time. So I should warn you that some of my poetry, while always carrying a message, uh, can be um, emotional to hear. Uh, so I just wanted to give you a heads up. And um, this one is based on loss. And I, I wrote it and I said that I would always talk about missing and murdered women until the issue was resolved. Um, and I'll talk more about that after, but this is called Heartbeats. Sometimes I wake up at night and call for you. And for a heartbeat, all is right with the world. But you're gone and you can't come home. And my world will always be chaos. I cry because I cannot hold you or touch you. I also cried because for one heartbeat you are here. I've seen you on every corner and every window of every store. Sometimes I swear I hear your voice, but it's never you. How could it be? And though I know it can't be you, for one heartbeat, I think it is. So I find myself searching every face, listening to every windblown word. My mind knows the truth, but allows my heart a moment of purity. And although the deception is brief, it exists. And in that second, so do you. And I'm not sure if it's a blessing or a curse. How do I move on when I see you every time I turn my head too quick? How can I face the world knowing you are not in it, yet so briefly you are? And, you're given, and your image gives me so much love, yet the knowledge that is just an image breaks my heart. My heart breaks every night and all through the day, but I wouldn't give up the illusion to end the pain. So for 23 hours and 55 minutes of every day, I grieve. But for five minutes, all is right in my world. So that poem is about loss because we can all understand that perspective, especially in these challenging times. Um, what I want to say when we're talking about missing murdered women, we're talking about, you know, the, we, we, we started out talking about the indigenous missing and murdered women and how, they, how the justice system, systems failed them. How, how they were failed by many systems and and how their names and 
and and and the uh, lives they lived were not given the the consideration and respect respect it deserved, and so many went unaccounted for. And I will keep reading this poem and talking about this until it is no longer an issue anymore. Now, the sad part about this is that because of you know the state of the world, and and keep in mind when I talk about um, you know we we should have um, respect and love for the women in our lives. We should teach our children to value and respect the women. Um, I don't just talk about the indigenous women. I talk about across the world, and sadly, across the world there is so much so much um, violence and loss, you know, yes, in, in all areas, but I think a lot of it has to do with the, the women of this world. And, and until we can find a way to deal with these issues universally, I, I think I'll be probably reading this poem, you know, until I'm no longer able to read the poem. Anyway, thank you for listening. I, I, I did want to say that the, the area of missing and murdered women uh, you may hear rumors that it was, um, you know, from their families or from an other Indigenous people. But the truth is that it is mainly uh, more likely to be from strangers and people they don't know. Certainly there is familial violence and, and um, you know, some of the issues are around those families and the mistreatment by spousal and spousal abuse. Um, and it's all part of the picture and all things we need to do better at. So anyway, I'll start my conversation now in a normal way. Ani, Bazu, Nagani, Anishtabeke, Nini, Stacey Forum, Disnikaz, Credit Dunzerba, Mayinga Dodum, Mississauga, Anishinaabe Dao. I just told you uh, who I am, where I'm from, what my clans are. Um, because I, um, as my father is a member of the Mississaugas, I follow his clan. My mother is a member of a Mohawks Six Nations, so if I followed her her clan, I, it would be a different one. So on my father's side, I'm a turtle, and on my mother's side, I'm a wolf. And I um, I jokingly tell people that I chose the wolf because it's sexy, <laughs> but it, but it, but it's only a joke because people realize that it, that our clan systems are very important, and each clan system has a, a specific role that. Uh, that they're affiliated with. Um, you know, but the clan systems are another discussion entirely about why we're here today. Um, so I'd also like to um, do a um, land acknowledgement. We give thanks to the creator. We offer our respect and love to our mother, the earth. We acknowledge the world around us and understand our place within it. We acknowledge the many nations that walked this land in the past, the many nations that walk it today. We acknowledge and offer our respect to the Michisagi, Mississaugas of the Anishinaabe, who are the caretakers of this land and territory. Now, I know you're probably not all on the land of the Mississaugas. I don't know, maybe you are, but if, if you aren't, it's always important to understand where you stand. Um, it's, it's a measure of um, respect between uh, the indigenous people, but it should also be a measure of respect and knowledge and understanding from a, a non-indigenous perspective. So that's that's always important. And I, uh, I'll, I'll talk more about it later, but if you noticed, I, I, I start off by um, giving thanks to the creator. You know, I, I don't think that's something that's necessary to explain. Um, and then talks about uh, respect and love to our mother, the earth, you see, in the Anishinaabe creation story, the first delineation of gender was our mother, the earth. At least that's how I understood it. And so that's very important to offer that. And, you know, mother earth, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. And the strong uh, relationship that indigenous people hold with uh, the environment and the world around them. So I, I, I use... Um, and that leads to the next part, which is um, acknowledging the world around us and understanding our place within it. And, and when you talk about reconciliation, that in its broadest sense is what reconciliation is about. You know, understanding the world around you and your place within it. Um, because it's not just about reconciliation with each other or 
even reconciliation with uh, yourself. It's, it's really about understanding uh, the world around you and how you fit into it. Uh, on, on, the, on the largest sense of it, it is Mother Earth and the relationship we have with her as well. And then, of course, I offer my respect and acknowledge the many nations that walked across this land and the many nations that walk it today. And then, um, then, then at the end, I, uh, I acknowledge the treaty lands and, and territories of the Mississaugas, who are the traditional landholders here. Um, the treaties, because of the significance in regards to settlement and, well, either through through some type of agreement in the past, a treaty in the past, is how you or your ancestors came to settle here. Um, so, so that's an important part because without treaties, I'm not sure what this land would look like right now uh, or how you would be here. So now I, I wanted to offer you a, a, a prayer and I normally do a, a different prayer that talks about clarity of mind and and uh, understanding why we meet and which is really about doing things in a good way in unity. But I wrote another prayer when we when we first start started um, into COVID, and then as we as the months went on, I wrote a, a prayer, and I'd like to read it for you. We acknowledge the Creator, the world around us, and our place within it. We thank you for the gifts we have been given, the gifts of this world, the insects, the animals, the plants, the birds, the people. We are thankful for the breath of life, the gift of spirit and energy. We ask that you shelter us and guide us in these difficult and challenging times. We ask that you protect our elders, our knowledge keepers, for they are the keepers of our wisdom, our language, and our past. We ask that you protect and guide our youth, for they seek direction. They were born to run and is a time of stillness. They are our hope, our future. We ask you to protect the women of the world for they are the bringers of life and the foundation upon which we build. We ask that you guide and protect our warriors for they seek direction. They serve the will of the people and struggle without that voice, that guidance. We ask that you come and comfort our leaders. We need their logic and their compassion yet they overcome with the pain and hurt of the people. We ask that you shelter and guide the other people of these lands. They are our brothers and sisters, though at times they fail to see us. Without them, we cannot achieve the purpose for what we are set upon this world. We understand that we must stand together, that we must face this dark time in unity. We understand that there is a lesson here for all people, and we pray that it is learned. We acknowledge the creator of the world around us and our place within it. Which, uh, so I wanted to, since we're talking about reconciliation, I wanted to talk about a poem that I wrote um, called 215 Reconciliation. And this uh, came about on the day or the day after um, the uncovering of the children on, at the um, former residential site. Uh, at that time, there was 215, now there are thousands. Uh, just, uh, think about that for a second but anyway at the time of um that i wrote this poem called reconciliation and i will say that um a friend of mine kevin hearns from the bare naked ladies and josh finlinson from um sky diggers band um turned the ask if they could write the turn the poem into music and i said sure and so it ended up having a music put to it and a video for it. So if you get a chance to view it, I, I would recommend that you do. But here, here's the poem called 215 Reconciliation. I sit here crying. I don't know why. I didn't know the children. I didn't know the parents, but I knew their spirit. I knew their love. I know their loss. I know their potential. And I am overwhelmed by the pain and the hurt, the pain of the families and friends, the pain of an entire people, unable to protect them, to help them, to comfort them, to love them. 
I did not know them, but the pain is so real, so personal. I feel it in my core, my heart, my spirit. I sit here crying and I'm not ashamed. I will cry for them and the many others like them. I will cry for you, I will cry for me. I'll cry for what could have been. Then I will calm myself, smudge myself, offer prayers and know they're no longer in pain. No longer do they hurt, they're at peace. In time, I will tell their story. I will educate society so their memory is not lost to this world. And when I'm asked, what does reconciliation mean to me? I will say, I want their lives back. I want them to live, to soar. I want to hear their laughter, see their smiles. Give me that, then I'll grant you reconciliation. When I wrote that poem, I was, I was obviously sad. I was a bit angry. Um, I was feeling uh, love. Um, and I wrote this poem in, in, about reconciliation and the children, mostly about the children. But, but at the end of it, I don't say that reconciliation is not possible because the poem reads, you know, I want their lives back. I want to see them live. So obviously that you can't give me that. The world can't give me that. But that's not to say that reconciliation isn't possible. What I'm really saying is that for so long when we talked about reconciliation, you know, we're, we've been really just scratching the surface. Um, and this, is, this has showed us the depth and breadth of the issues that we're dealing with. You know, there's no more excuses to be made. Um, it's right there in front of our eyes. This is the truth of this land. This is the history of this land. And these are the children of this land. And this is what happened. And so that's important to understand that, that reconciliation isn't just about raising a flag or about a land acknowledgement. I mean, those are all great things. But when we're talking about reconciliation, the depth and breadth of work we have before us is, is monumental. And I, and I just want people to be aware of that. You know, I, I want to say another thing about this. Uh, when, I, when I wrote this poem, we, and we found out about the children, we reached out immediately to the prime minister and the premier and we said, lower your flags in and, and love and respect and give people a chance to mourn. And um, then I picked up the phone and called, um, you know, mayors that I, that I have a, a relationship with and, and I know their phone numbers. And I asked them to lower your flags and, and reason why. And, and um, as a whole, they, they said, yes, of course. And some said, consider it done. And of course, there was a few that said, um, we have a protocol that we have to go through our office, but it'll be done. And, and so that happened. And then of course, the prime minister and premier lowered the flags. And that was all wonderful stuff to show. But I, I did take a bit of a, uh, uh, I don't want to say a, a beating, but I did take, take some criticism in that I said, first and foremost, in this moment, it's about love and respect and giving people a chance to mourn. And, um, and others thought, well, you should be going on and talking about uh, accountability. You should be talking about um, funding for um, uncovering, the, uncovering the, the children and you should be doing this and that. And I, and I said, all those things will come because they have to come. And we will do that. But first and foremost, in this moment, it's about love and respect. And it's not just about, I shouldn't say not just, it's, it's about all our children. You know, some people say this is about the First Nations children in residential schools. Yes. And do our, do our hearts break because of that close ties? Yes, but every mother and father out there is connected to this issue because they have children. And everybody understands that these are the children of this land and this country. And that is so important and why we must not lose sight of this moment. This is an opportunity to do better and be better, to grow together 
and do things in a good way. And, you know, I, I always call this a moment, a moment in time that can help determine our future. Because I, I'm asking by a, a non-Indigenous people, a lot of times, can we come to ceremony? You know, we're, we want to raise funds and support the residential school sites. I'm like, that's all great, and please do. Um, but you don't have to. These are the children of this country. Do something in your own community, your own city, your own backyard, so that this moment is not lost to history. You know, we don't have so many moments that we can afford to miss one. And, and so it's very important to me that we undertake a way to, re, to remember this. And when our children, you know, come and ask, what is this about? We can tell them the truth, the sad part of our history. You know, there's, there's this obviously a very famous saying, you know, if we, if we don't know our history, we're doomed to repeat it. Um, and this is, this is some part of our education that must go forward. And if there's something in the backyards, I mean, it doesn't have to be monuments or something gigantic. It can be as simple as, you know, I've seen, I've seen um, orange flags in a circle in a backyard. I've seen flowers planted in a certain way to remember this. So I just say that it's something that reminds us and our, our children to come about this moment and how we're going to do better by them and by the future. So I think I think that's very in, in, important in the in the, in the um, idea of reconciliation. There were there was more I wanted to say about the, the poem, but I'll 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 leave that for for another time because because I rambled so much I forgot what else I was going to say. But anyway, so it's a good thing I have a um, I have a little paper here that tells me not very efficient. I have a little paper here that tells me what I want to talk about. Otherwise, I'll um, ramble in all directions and you, you'll think I'm incoherent and I'll talk for hours and hours and hours. You know, I was um, invited to um, by Rotarians in the Niagara region to do a to do a talk because um, the, the national chief couldn't make it to the event. And so they, so they called me up and said, would you do it? And I said, sure, why not? And so I said, okay, we have 45 minutes for you. I said, great. So I, I wrote out 11 pages thinking, you know, how many pages are each minute worth? And then I'll be talking to people. So I have to put in time for that. So I figured 11 pages would be good. Anyway, uh, on page six, um, you know, two hour, two and a half hours later, <laughs> they, they told me, um, chief, we love, we love the conversation, the message, but we're closing the building now. So, so, so um, if you see me looking at this paper every little while, it's because I don't want them to shut down this video because we went too long. So anyway, I also wanted to talk just a little bit about, um, you know, um, just a little bit about, um, about um, well, I was gonna go into treaties, but I, I have a, so after, um, after the discovery, uncovering of the children, I got these calls and some before. I got calls um, because it was gonna be Canada Day. You know, um, Canada is gonna happen. Can you give us a message, Chief? Uh, can you send a message out to people in the lands about Canada Day? And so I said, yeah. And so I, I, I sent one to one city. And then um, after that, a, a couple of weeks later, I, we had this, uncovering this tragedy, this situation, this moment. And I, I sat down and I wrote something else that I think speaks more eloquently to, to Canada Day and the moment that we we're in. And this is what I wrote. And it's called, What If? It's like, what if Canada Day? This year, you will not see any, see any parades. You will see no fireworks light up the sky. This July 1st will be quiet and thoughtful as we gather with family and friends, as we consider the legacy and the future of this country. The truth is before us. There are no more excuses to be made or accepted. An awful, unimaginable truth has been confirmed. 
This land is built on the bones of the indigenous people and the tears of their children. They wept for stolen children as we hugged and loved ours. They grieved as their future died at a desk in a bed at the hand of a stranger. We sent ours to schools, to chores, kissed them goodnight as we tucked them into bed. So there can be no Canada Day this year. There can be no celebration. We will not have our Indigenous brothers and sisters mourn as we sing, dance, and make merry. This is a moment in the life of this country what will determine our future. We need to be united in this moment to express our love and equally important our support. For this is not just the Indigenous history. It is our history. These are not just the Indigenous children. They are our they are all of our children, the children of this land. And we cannot celebrate until we have justice for our children. We have answers for our people and we have accountability for our future. We are with you today and always, what if? So that was the perspective that I wished that Canadians as a whole felt for the situation we were in. Um, you know, may, maybe the, maybe my my um, thoughts on Canada Day take it too far to the right in some people's minds, but I at least wanted people to think about it. You know, and, and that's important that people think and consider and um, about this world we live in and how we can do better. And I thought that that poem, if it was expressed from a member of Canadian society um, to the Indigenous people would do a lot in regards to bridging gaps and creating unity. Uh, and, so, and so that was the, the last piece about uh, the, um, the poem that was written that I, that I wanted to talk about. Um, now, now I, I want to talk about treaties for just a little bit, not, not, not too much detail at all, um, because I'm not an elder, I'm not a historian, I'm, you know, I'm just a gima, just a chief, just a man people disliked a little less than they disliked the other guy. Um, you know, if you, if you want to have a really conversation on treaties, there are many, many people better suited than I to, uh, to have this conversation. So, um, okay, I, I, had to, I had to read down a little bit on my note because uh, I already talked about the uh, introduction in another part of this when I started. So. So under treaties, I believe that I have an obligation to everyone who lives and plays on the land. So when I talk about making things better for my people, you know, it's, it's, it's not just my people. It's about that obligation I feel as treaty holders to those who live and play on the lands. So I have an obligation to everyone. Yes, yes, I'm the chief of the Mississaugas of the credit, and I will always do what I can to make things better for my people. You know, I'm part of the Anishinaabe the Mississippi nation that'll always be a part of my heart. But I also have a responsibility to those who live and play on the lands. And that's also a part of my role, you know, to find a way through this to make things better for everybody whenever I can. Which, which I found is um, not only something I believe in, but what is a great philosophy when you're talking about building relationships, building partners, and making friends throughout the treaty lands. So, no treaties always treaties are also always supposed to recognize the right of a treaty holder to make a living on our lands to sustain ourselves. Yeah, we're in southern Ontario. I don't, I can't hunt and fish to make a way of life. So that means that I have to be able to sustain ourselves in another context, a modern context, and, and that goes to uh, economic opportunities partnerships, business developments. Um, how do I engage with cities and regions? You know, I was, I was at a, a, a council to council meeting with the city of Calada. And, and, and I should say that um, back on the, um, the adjacent, adjacent treaty, uh, a couple of years ago when it had its anniversary of the treaty, um, Caledon provided us with a, um, a wampum belt recognizing the, a, a friendship belt really, recognizing the treaty and recognizing the relationship they want to have with the Mississaugas as the treaty holders. 
it was all nice. They did it through a Canadian ceremony. They did it with the, the national anthem, the flag, and a young lady came out and sang a song. And, you know, I said some words and they presented it to me through a very colonial system, which I respected and I thanked them for. And we built a relationship. Uh, I, I will say that before I get back to the calendar, I will say that another city and another organization who I won't, who I won't name right now, um, gave me a, a, a friendship belt as well. And they did it um, through um, indigenous ways. So they had ceremony, there was a drum, there was smudging, there was a pipe. Um, so, so, so they did the ceremony and presented the belt of friendships and unity through, through our ceremonies and not what would be considered Canadian ceremonies. And so, and so the city of Caledon, I, I said, thank you for the belt. And, you know, we chatted once in a while. Um, but the other organization um, I hadn't heard from for a year or something, or we hadn't did much. We might have chatted. And I said, um, hello, where are you? And they go, what do you mean? I said, well, you gave me this belt through our ways of doing things. So that means that I have an expectation of you from my understanding of things. Uh, if you had given me a belt that is done through your system, which is colonial and respectful, I have a different expectation of you. But because you have done this through ceremony, you're saying that you want to have this relationship in my mind based upon the belief system of my people. And so I hold you at a higher level of, I don't want to say accountability, but I expect more from our relationship. So, so, so I just want to throw that out to people. And that's my perspective. You know, I may be maybe the only one in the whole world that feels that way, but that's certainly my perspective. Now, getting back to Calvin, and that's not to say we don't have a great relationship with Calvin. We, we have a very good relationship to the point where they invited us out to have a council to council meeting with them. And so we did, we went there and we talked about um, the issues and working together and how can we, and the issue came up of how can we have, how can we help the treaty holders um, maintain themselves and sustain themselves on these lands in a modern context. And uh, it went around a table and we had a conversation. One of the counselors said, well, why don't we consider building something into our systems? So that when we do development and things of that nature, you know, a, a small amount is built in for the Mississaugas. And, um, you know, my favorite counselor is now, by the way. But no, no just, but I, I thought it was a, I thought it was a um, interesting comment from his perspective and, and something that I, I will follow up with with him. Um, and something that, you know, has crossed my mind in the past, but I was really surprised that he came up with the idea. And I said, okay, this council is, is serious about wanting to work with us and find a path forward. So that, so that was a good indication of um, that meeting together. So when it comes to the city of Mississauga, I guess what I'm saying is if you, if you want to have a meeting council to council and figure out what we're, what we're doing on the ground and, um, and um, across the lands, let's, have a discussion, council to council. Anyway, um, so that's um, just one part of the, the treaty things. And I sort of went off topic. You can see now how I would talk for hours. Anyway, um, the interpretation of the treaties. Um, they, they say that the treaties are always supposed to be interpreted uh, for the, from the indigenous perspective, yet they are always written in English and usually from a perspective of the crown, wherever that is at the time, and always with a purpose to acquire the land. Uh, so, so, so when you when you read a treaty that's written from a colonial perspective and it's all dotted and the T's are all crossed and, and and it looks like well that's done. They signed the treaty. They made an agreement. It's you know, well you have to consider the perspectives of the people within that treaty, uh, the indigenous side and the non-indigenous side. What was the context? What was the thought process? You know, 
there's an outstanding treaty that the Mississaugas of the Credit have that I, that I, well, there's a few that has to be worked through. Is, um, is I believe part of it in Oakville and part of it in, um, in Mississauga. You see, the lands were promised to the Mississaugas forever. Uh, Mississauga's credit. It was um, when, when we're leaving there, the, um, the statements were and the assurances were that we will always share this land. So you'll always have a spot here, you know, on, near the Credit River where you can always return to, or on, near the waters where you can always return to. So the Mississaugas will always have a home here. Okay, so we, we go out our business and um, not long after we're, we're gone, the land is you know, sold off and divided up and it's gone. Um, one of the, we have a, a letter and correspondence from back in the day where one of the, um, the um, government people of the day, Sir John A. MacDonald, I believe, told the, um, told the people, you realize what you've just done. You've taken the first in-kind trust with indigenous people. That means that you have to count for every penny that you spent because you were holding this land in trust for them. Um, so, so, so that is a, a treaty, but if you read the treaty, it probably doesn't read that in depth. It probably reads a lot more black and white than that. Uh, anyway, so you have to remember that even though they're supposed to favor the indigenous interpretation, you know, most treaties are, are they always have a purpose behind it. They always have, um, some of them are morally wrong, some are even corrupt, and some are just, just outright thievery. And, and so those are, those are things that when you just read a, a, an agreement or a treaty on its face, you shouldn't take it at face value. The other, the other thing I wanted to say is, you know, you heard about people negotiating for settlements of an agreement or a purchase of land in the past or, or maybe even a treaty that somebody's not living up to. You got to remember something. Um, historically, indigenous people never consider themselves to be able to own land because to indigenous people, the land and the water and everything has spirit. Everything is a living thing and you can't own a living thing, um, which is our belief system. So when, so when they would engage in discussions with people, they start from a very, very different place than a colonial perspective on it. And even, and even after, so you say through history, well, it seems like you know, more and more people are getting educated. They, they understand this concept of ownership. I can tell you that even today, when I sit down at a table with government, I'm compromised because deep inside, I know, I shouldn't say this out loud, but I know that the land is alive and the water is alive and I can't own that. But because of the world we live in, I certainly sit down and negotiate and get whatever I can for the maintain ourselves on the land and survive. But there will always be a little voice nagging me and saying, or at least reminding me that this is not really and truly something you fundamentally believe in. So anyway, I just, I, I just wanted to throw that out there as a, when you think about negotiations and settlements and all that stuff. So, so you have an obligation to learn but more importantly, understand the treaties from all perspectives to ensure your government lives up to its obligations because the honor of your government is the honor of all. Something else I, I deem as fundamental to treaties is an obligation to safeguard and protect the environment. It may not be stated outright, but it hits at the core of every treaty that's ever been signed with regards to land because it's about land. So, so it's a very concept about what we're speaking of. So learn, understand, respect, care for, and be an ally. Now, I want to um, end this little piece with a, a, a poem, if, I, if you don't mind. Well, you can't stop me on the other side of the screen, so. And this one's called Mother. And before I read this to you, I want to say that, that um, 
that I wrote a book and in the book I talked about a tree's perspective on the world around it and the people within it. And it talks about how it has enjoyed ceremony and had people climbing its trees and you know the drumming and the singing and all this other stuff and how the, how the children and the people have gone now and it misses them because they're no longer here. And then I got to thinking, if I know, because that was my view that even if the worst happened and, you know, mankind somehow exterminated itself or got rid of itself, that the planet would go on and find a way without us. But then I had meetings and talks with other people and saw what they were saying about ways to combat climate change and what could be done. And there was some very interesting ideas. And, you know, and they talked about, you know, one lawyer said, you know, we've we got to protect it and make sure nobody does anything bad. You know, the UN has to help in regards to controlling what other countries do if, it, if climate, climate change gets too bad. And it got me thinking that one thing I know about humanity, we will not go quietly. Whatever we can think of, dream of, imagine, we'll do whether it buys us a year, a day, or an hour, we'll do it. And, and to me, that means that if we do not find a way you know, to protect everyone, then we protect no one. And if, if we do go, we'll take Mother Earth with us. Anyway, this is a, the poem. And I wrote it from the perspective of Mother Earth. It's simply called Mother. Why do you hurt me? when I have nothing but love for you. I have seen you crawl from the dark into the light. I have watched you learn to walk, then to fly. I have seen you squabble and fight. I have cheered for you when I have feared for you. I give freely of what is mine to give. You take more than I am able. You hurt me more and more. You hurt all my pain and my cries. I am ancient, but I am not immortal. I have a time. Why do you seek to rob me of it? Through the years I've been here for you and yours, for your grandmothers and their grandmothers and their grandmothers. I would stay to see your children raise their children, but I cannot, for I am dying. I do not measure the passing of time as you do. Nevertheless, I know my time is coming and it is soon. I love you, my children, but I fear I will fail you. And even though you have failed me first, anger is not in me, for I was created of love, as were you. Therefore, the toughest part of goodbye is knowing that you cannot go on without me, that your time will end far too soon, and no one will know. This great journey, this grand adventure called humanity, will be undone, and as, as if it never existed. I will care for you as long as I am able. Yet when the rivers no longer flow, when the trees die, when the wind rages and the storms come, know that it is not my anger, it is the end of the love, the love I can no longer give, the love you can no longer take. It is my end, and sadly, it is yours. So that's kind of a, a harsh perspective on Mother Earth and climate change, but if you look at where we are today, I don't think we have time for um, dancing around issues and speaking nice to each other. It's time to understand where we're at in, in this world and what we're facing. You know, I was going to go into this whole field about you know, um, climate change and stuff, um, about you know living in the moment and doing what you can now, which is always important. But I tell most people to stop and think about this I said think about climate change but and what you can do in a minute absolutely because we gotta work together and find ways but I, I I tell people instead of thinking of climate change as a problem to be solved think of mother earth as a soul to be saved I said if you can do this one thing it amounts to a paradigm shift in thinking because you cannot all of a sudden start thinking of Mother Earth as a soul to be saved. And that's the only thing you focus on. It changes so much of your own value systems about 
how you interact with others, people, strangers, family, friends, you know, and, and it, 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 it may not be enough as one person, you know, to change the world, but you'll change your world. And really fundamentally at its very core, that's what it's about. Um, you know, there, there's another thing with, you know, I, I gave that, Sim, I, I gave a discussion about that issue and topic to, to some young students, and I, and I think they were inspired by what I said to them, and because, you know, and so they are expecting they're going to go do these things and, and, and change things and make a difference, and, and that's great. But I, I always wondered what happened and where they are today, you know, because we all know that inspiration is is wonderful and it and it and it hits us sometimes out of the dark right we always have that aha moment but inspiration doesn't last you know because change is so hard that inspiration sometimes fades but the, but the trick is that inspiration never goes away it still exists in your consciousness somewhere and once in a while you'll notice whenever you're doing something mundane or something important, I don't know. But if you're gardening or doing something else and gardening is a good tie-in, <laughs> if you're doing something, all of a sudden you remember that aha moment, something that inspired you. And for most of us, we'll just let it go. You know, it'll just slide back into our consciousness, some unconsciousness, somewhere back there and it'll live there. But that's a secret. The truth is to pick it up every time it comes forward and to start again, you know, I, I say that inspiration may be fleeting. It never truly leaves us in version or subconscious. The trick is to answer when it calls. Because making difficult change can survive a moment of inspiration, but not a lifetime of commitment. And so I think it's important to remember those types of things. Okay, I was gonna talk, I don't know how much time I have left, I don't, but I got so much more to say to you. You got some time, Chief. Okay, so, okay, when you talk about, um, when we're talking about this, when we're talking about reconciliation, and, um, you know, I think that's important, the discussion. And um, when, when Minister Trudeau came out and said, Prime Minister Trudeau, excuse me, when Prime Minister Trudeau said the most important relationship to me is the indigenous relationship, and, and a number of other things he said, nation to nation, um, People always ask me, do you, do you think he was sincere? At the time, my answer was, I don't care if he's sincere. It doesn't matter. He's opened doors, he's opened windows, we're having discussions, we're having meetings, we're talking about it. Um, in the concept of, of yes, in regards to making the world a better place for my people, absolutely, you know, we need to do that. But we've also started talking about, you know, how do we do things? How do we, how do we grow together? How do we become better and do better? every day and then um, one of the things is uh, that i have to remember and it's something that i told people right away when when the prime minister said the indigenous people are the most important relation to us i said do not become so focused on the indigenous people this may sound funny for me saying this do not become so focused simply on the indigenous people that you forget that in this world, this society, there are so many who are marginalized, who have similar issues, whose children are in care, who are just as likely to be shot as indigenous, well, not quite indigenous, is a little higher, who are likely to be killed by a police officer as, you know. So there are others in this country and we do not want to create a divide by, by, um, by looking towards reconciliation. Because I said reconciliation is a bigger picture. So, and I got an example of that one time. I, I, well, first, let me say that I was in a meeting with um, with a former minister, and they were talking about um, the legislation they were making for us to um, look after children under family and children services legislation, I, which I voted against, by the way, um, because I don't need the government of Kansas. Um, legislation to to give me something that I already possess the right to do, and and so we we are we are engaged on trying to um, 
you know, help our children in systems that are so hugely overrepresented in these systems, like incarceration and, and, and family services. And so anyway, my point to all that was that I told a minister that, yes, minister, understand what you're saying about the legislation. And we are going to help our children. We're going to save our children. We're going to do it because we have to. And then what? What about all the other marginalized children who are in care? I said, am I just supposed to forget about them? So, so that's, that, that's a perspective on it. And then I was in a meeting one time and a lady who was a doctor, a, a black doctor said to me, well, we're having a conversation about how, no, the room was having a conversation about how indigenous people were moving forward and doing certain things or working with the government. And, and, they, and she said, well, that's all well and good. But what about my people? And it's one of the things that I feared. Never ever put somebody on a pedestal at the expense of somebody else. And because we're in this together, certainly marginalized and people, people of color and other people are facing similar issues. You know, this, the laws and processes that were created to control and conform this world we call Canada were largely created to begin with by older non-Indigenous white Europeans that made the laws. And that's a system so alien to Indigenous people that one can expect nothing but catastrophe historically. Even if their intentions were the best, which they obviously weren't, but even if they were, you cannot take a system of people over here and another people over here and impose this system directly on when they have different value systems, different belief systems, different way of doing things, different way of looking at the world. And as this country grows and expands, you know, it's changing. More people are gonna start looking like me than look like you. Well, I don't know what you look like, I can't see it. But you understand what I'm saying is that the majority in this country are no longer older white males. They're becoming a mixture of many diverse cultures. And we have to ensure that we have laws, processes that respect what they bring to the table. We cannot continue to, when you, when you build into the future, we all strategize and we all think of what we can do for the next 10 years. Even if it's a business, we say, okay, what's a plan for 10 years? But none of us ever go back and say, well, what is really wrong with these systems? So we all start from today and try to make our world better when we don't look at the past and see if there was anything in there that created some of the problems we face today. And until we do, we will continue to find ourselves pulled back into a system that doesn't respect the diversity of this country. Anyway, that's, um, there's so, there so much more. I know I'm running out of time. Um, I, I want to read you, uh, I want to tell you something though. Uh, there are some things that are important and people have heard this story before, so bear with me. So I, I wear ribbon shirts, which you can see. I mean, it's, um, and, and I, I have all the levels. Some are fancy, some are pretty normal like this one. Um, this one's obviously for, um, for Orange Shirt Day and, and the children. But um, I have all types of ribbon shirts and I was wearing one particularly um, colorful shirt in a store in Toronto one day. And a man came up behind me and said, that's a nice shirt. I said, thank you. He said, it uh, takes a very special man to wear a shirt like that. So I chuckled and said, thank you. Uh, then it got me thinking. The truth is, when I was young, I would have never dress like this. I'd have been too afraid or what I thought people would say or what they would say. Um, but the truth is, we should never have to change to fit into society. The world around us should adapt to embrace our uniqueness. And I think that's a fundamental principle of going forward and this world is, is acceptance. And so I keep telling that story and people say, People say, oh, not that shirt story again, Chief. And I go, well, I think the messages behind the shirt's important. So I tell that story. And there's there's other ones that I, I don't think I have the time for them once. So I'm just going to um, 
read you one more poem because I see it's almost one o'clock and I know I'm supposed to end at one, right? Yes. Okay, so this poem is, um, okay, here's what happened. I did the um, poem for um, for a covering of the children. Kevin Hearns picked it up, uh, Josh, and then one of their friends said they wanted to do something for the CBC opening of the Olympics, and somehow my name got thrown in a mix, and they approached me and asked, and Tim Thompson asked me if I'd do a poem, a poem for the for the opening of the CBC Olympic opening, and I said okay. And he said, I said, what do you want, Don? He said, um, promise. This, this is a pretty broad topic. But anyway, we, we talked about it, and here's what, here's what we ended up going with. I, I wrote this, and I'd like to read it to you because I think it's important. We were promised. We live in a world that has such beauty, yet be, that beauty is overshadowed. Even our mother, the earth, cries. We're losing any sense of connection to our planet, to each other. Our future is no longer promised. It was not supposed to be this way. We were promised love, happiness, and safety when we came to this world. It seems promises do not possess the weight they once did. No longer are they born in the heart and formed in the soul, but are merely words of convenience that flow from unconsidering lips. We were promised. As each promise fell, so too did we, but we still need them. Never has it been more apparent. We need to reclaim the promise that we're all born into, that we have a right to. Stand with me, take my hand, let us remember and let truth emerge from the heart and spirit, a commitment that shall not break nor wither with age, but only grow stronger in time. Let us build on our promise and heal wounds. I promise to be better, to do better. I promise to love, honor, and care for our mother, the earth. I promise to ensure our children grow up and do not live under the shadow of violence. I promise to embrace the things in life that make you and I different. I promise that I will love you even though I may not know you. I shall not forget the past or the broken promises but neither shall I dwell there. I embrace this moment of truth and hope. I will carry this idea, this dream, this reality into our future. This is a truth we can stand on, build on, before the creator, in front of the world, from my heart and soul, all this, I promise. I think that's an important message. And, and the idea of I promise is important to me. And the thought that you know, as, as individuals, as people, we can make a promise to be better and do better. You know, we, we don't have to say it out loud if you don't want to, but it's nice to make yourself a promise or make a promise to the world around you to be better and do better. Miigwech, Chief, for uh, spending some time with Heritage Mississauga today. Um, it was very uh, knowledgeable and learning more and more every time I hear you and uh, our panelists who are coming up to uh, speak and uh, Chibi Gwetch for taking the time because I know you're a very busy man. And uh, <clears throat> I always forget to uh, say my English name when I do my introductions, but I'm Faith Rivers. I'm a board member for Heritage Mississauga and I work for the um, MCFN and uh, I've been a um, volunteer for the Cultural Committee for over 30 years and looking forward to having our gatherings in 2022. And uh, I always look forward to, the, to, the, um, to our gatherings because it brings our communities together and it brings our friends and we may make new friends and all of that gathering just brings all that good medicine and uh, conversation where um, what Chief was talking about through his whole um, talk today. And, and it's really good to get other people's perspectives on, on things. And um, I just wanna say, you know, it, it means a lot to Heritage Mississauga 
to have you speak with us and share your poems because it's very interesting to hear your perspective on the things that um, mean a lot to us, to First Nations people and to our allies. So Chimi Gwech, and um, please uh, know that we are having another um, webinar next week on the 24th with um, Darlene Laform speaking about her experience in residential school. Mm -hmm. And on December 1st, Carolyn King will be talking about the moccasin identifier. So Chimi Gwech and have a wonderful day, everyone.